You're very welcome along. It's the gardening programme here on Midwest Radio. Saturday morning, we're well into April now, sure Porrick. Good it's great, morning isn't to it? you. Good morning, and it's been a fantastic April so far, hasn't it? It the really last has. three or four weeks have been really, really great. A good Easter week as well, I suppose. Lots of people have been off, or at least children have been off school, they so have. quite often parents try and coincide a few days maybe alongside that, and a great week for people to be out really and about, terrific. whether it's activities they're at or whether it's gardening or whatever people might have been at. Oh, it's been a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant week and, and uh, the gardens have responded to it very well like we were talking last week about the amount of spring flowering plants like the berberis and the cherries and flower this year and, and this kind of cooler weather where it's not excessively warm mm. it tends to hold the flowers longer so we, you know, spring seems to be going on that little bit extra this year I think. Yeah, it's I've been... noticed uh, some of the tulips as well around yeah, here. Yeah, they're they lovely. They seem to be really, you know the way sometimes that they can be short-lived they enough. They can. Well, when yeah. you get wind and rain yeah. naturally enough no more than the cherries they tend to get battered and bent. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but it's been great. They're holding their own at the moment, anyway. Yeah. Now, just speaking about the weather, it is to change um, from Monday, Tuesday of next week. We're we're back into as the an Arctic stream. Oh, right. <laughs> so we're I getting. Did, I didn't read that bit out. Obviously. Yeah. So we that's coming. That's coming next week. Or, or certainly, it's promised. And uh, what that means, it's going to bring cooler temperatures. Obviously, bright sunny type days with some showers but at night time the temperatures are going to plummet so for people thinking about putting bedding plants out or any sensitive plants like geraniums or begonias or French marigolds keep those indoors for at least the first or second week of May we, we can always get caught with a late frost um, so frost is promised next week so just for tender plants now for general stuff like you know flowering pansies and violas and ranunculus and the blue campanias, all the hardier plants, they're perfectly fine going out of doors. But it's those tender plants, tomato plants, for example, or anything that can be damaged by frost, keep those in for another couple of weeks yet. You know, it is tempting when the weather is warm mm. and, uh, and it's nice and dry to push them get outside out and, and get out. Yeah. yeah, so it's just a, a word of advice, really. It is to change slightly. So again, I would encourage people to use this weekend. We're promised of a great day today and tomorrow and, and for most of Monday. So use that period to kind of catch up, I suppose, on the jobs, the, the trimming of the lawn, the, the moss control, the feeding of the lawns, the feeding in plants in general, which I think I made a point of last week. This is the time to be feeding plants, feeding your roses and your trees and shrubs in general and getting them responding to that with the, the sort of weather um, we're having. Um, it's also tomato planting time, mentioning tomatoes. This is the time of year when mm. we actually pot up our tomatoes and ideally this should be planted up indoors now, put into tubs and containers and you can grow tomatoes we often think of them as tall five six foot plants but there are varieties like tumbler and totem which are which are quite short in stature they only grow maybe a foot in height totem will grow to about two feet three feet perfect on a windowsill um, so ideal on a bright windowsill in a large pot and it'll produce its tomatoes indoors literally sitting on a windowsill or in a patio or conservatory area and it takes up little or no space great one I think for children as well because you can sit it up in the classroom windowsill and, and watch it flower and watch it produce its fruit um, so that's a, a quite a nice variety but tomatoes in general this is the time of year for planting them up but do keep them inside in a bright sunny location and don't put them out until certainly the end of May now if you have a greenhouse or a tunnel you could certainly start potting them up in there but do cover them at night time if frost is pro promised um, bedding plants I mentioned and colour in general mm. so if you want a bit of colour then stick with the hardier plants like the pansies, violas, blue campanias
Campania Dianthus, which is a lovely centre plant, the Gazinia, which we mentioned last week, Uriops, which is a lovely bright yellow flowering plant, and Alpines in general, like the Aubretia, which is in flower at the moment, they're perfectly hardy. If we do get a bit of cold weather, they're well used to it and they can tolerate all, all, a lot of that. The other thing I've mentioned, I've noticed actually in gardens are the aphids. The green fly are back in abundance. Okay. And again, they're responding to the type of weather. The rain isn't there to wash them off. So lupins in particular are covered in green fly at the moment. So if your lupin is looking a bit sticky, a bit sickly. Yeah, what do we do? Well, you need to eliminate the aphids. So yeah. put on something like a um, PY spray. A P, uh, PY spray is quite good. Or any insecticide will control. The, the aphid on lupins uh, or the green fly is quite large. It's very visible. It's very easy to see. But the telltale signs are the stickiness of the plant. So check for that, particularly on lupins. Boxwood, you know the lovely little boxwood, yes. the cone-shaped box? They also get a white aphid at this time of year. So those guys have been sitting on the plants all winter. As soon as we get into milder, warmer temperatures, they start to hatch out and they st- start to suck the protein out of the plant. So you get th- that's why you get that stickiness. That's literally the sap of the plant. So at the moment, they're not really causing the damage, but as they, they are. get... Oh, are they? Oh, they are. Yeah. Oh, they're there now at the moment. And, and any... I, I was looking at lupin plants, particularly this, year, this week, and uh, boxwood plants, and they're covered in both white aphid and, and green fly. And they're absolutely... When you see that stickiness, what the, the, the aphids are doing, they probe the stem, they suck the protein out of the stem, they ingest that, and the stickiness is obviously their residue. So it's a real telltale sign. Sometimes they're hard to see because they're green and the mm. plant is green, mm. but you'll see the stickiness on the plant. And the plant will just look like it needs watering or it, it's just not flourishing. And same with the boxwood. You'll notice the little white flecks. They're like white flecks of dandruff on the actual plant itself and around the base of it and you'll notice the stickiness and you'll see them once you put your hand on the plant you'll see them so rub your bo- the boxwood plants and you the aphids will literally come around, uh, along in your hand so an insecticide something like the PY spray is perfect for putting on and does it take long for it to kick into action? no no it'll work yeah. overnight ok so, they'll, so they'll, be they've gone, been, they'll be gone overnight yeah words. the eggs have been sitting there all winter they hatch out as soon as we get milder temperatures which we're having at the moment and, and sometimes when we get heavy rain it washes them off the plants but this year they're just sitting pretty and they're damaging your plants and do check your roses as well because roses are a favourite for black fly and uh, aphids in general so keep an eye on that and put on the traditional it is the time of year anyway for feeding roses but also for putting on the traditional uh, protective sprays like rose clear or uh, multi rose just to keep them clean and tidy. Okay, and speaking of things that fly, you've brought in um, oh, the, 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 the scented geranium, yeah. which is the one that uh, is good for inside the house, if memory serves, in relation to flies it's and things like that. Yeah. It's in the geranium family, and it's got this fantastic lemon scent. Even though it's called orange fizz, it's supposed to smell of oranges and citrus. I think it smells of lemon myself, but it's a fantastic yeah. plant, fantastic scent. You can use it as a, a plant in uh, drinks, so a little bit oh. of gin and tonton or, or you know, drinks in general. You can cut the leaf up. You can use it to get that lemon zesty. I can see how it, how it might work well, yeah. yes, in that. <laughs> you found a purpose for I it. Have, yeah. But also it's a great, a great plant for keeping in the home. Even as a take a leaf and put it into your car, it acts as nearly as an air freshener. Yeah, it is. It is a lovely smell. smell. Yeah, yeah, it's a re- you know, very from, natural. From a plant that looks like nothing 
and it produ- does produce flowers in the summer. Yeah, it, okay, it's not not the most d- aesthetic of plants. No, I'll, it's I'll not. I'll give it that, but yeah. it does serve uh, another great purpose, and the smell is fantastic. Isn't it lovely? Yeah. And and everybody that and, uh, I give a leaf to, if you take a leaf off and give it to somebody, they say, "Oh, what's that? That's fantastic!" And it does flower as well. Beautiful flowers, purpley white flowers in the summer period, um, like traditional geraniums. There's actually a flower bud on this one. You can see it beginning yeah, to start. Yeah, so it's so uh, yeah, so kind of pur- so it's from May. Pinky purpley flowers. Pinky purple flower. Um, it. it it's, it's grown for its flower, but mainly because of its scented foliage. So look for that one. It's called Orange Fizz. We always feature it on the programme. It's great for keeping the midges and the flies away. It's also one that you can crush the leaf, put it into a bit of tepid water in a little sprayer and spray surfaces, spray your windowsill or spray, you know, kitchen areas. And mm. again, the scent will keep the old flies and midges away. So it's always a popular Does one. Does it work on wasps? No, no, not just... <laughs> you would think about wasps. I had, well, I just have had two in the last week in my But house like I said to you last week, they're the queens. If you damn, you know, let them off and, and uh, you'll get those. They overwinter over the winter. They're of no harm so, whatsoever. So our geranium orange fizz, indoors and outdoors? Indoors at this time of year. Yeah. Like any traditional geranium. Right. Uh, because it is frost and stuff. Plant it out of doors from the middle of May onwards, if you wish. Or you can keep it indoors all the time, sitting on the windowsill. But as we get into warmer weather, the heat alone is enough to, to take the scent into the air. So it releases it It out. releases it, yeah. So the hotter the, the windowsill gets, the more. So when you walk in your back door, you get this strong oh, waft of, of yeah. citrus. It's beautiful. So it's a really easy plant to grow. Treat it like you would a norm, or normal geranium. You'll have it for many, many years and it does propagate very easy from cuttings. So if you have it in the home, you can take little pieces of it and prop it around. The other plant I brought you, the traditional pink ribbon cycle which is happening next weekend next weekend yeah next Saturday and uh, I hope to be there myself but so next weekend the pink ribbon kicks off and of course we all know that charity has been going now for eight or nine years Mm -hmm. fantastic um, it's a fantastic event to bring awareness to the whole area of cancer um, and cancer in women in particular and all the funds from the pink ribbon go towards the research so it goes back to the Gold Institute for Research and the whole research into cancer they're doing fantastic work but the pink ribbon team have brought out a pink ribbon plant this year excellent it's a lovely plant it's just coming into flower at the moment um, nice kind of purpley pink flowers purple flowers I suppose and uh, this plant will flower for the rest of the summer so if people want to mark the maybe they're not going to do, take part in the cycling or, or whatever but if they want to mark the day and the weekend, then maybe get a pink ribbon plant. All the proceeds of the plant go towards the research. Okay, that, that yeah. Which, so not everybody is able to do cycles for one reason or another, but this might be a very nice way of contributing a little bit at least towards I think so. the event. So, yeah, uh, lovely opportunity. Um, so the pink, and you can see the pink bikes the pink everywhere. Pink ribbon plant. Yeah, it's a pink ribbon plant. Look for that at the moment. Put it into a potter container. It'll flower right through next weekend, but also right through the rest of the summer. And I think it's a nice way to mark the event. Lovely And idea. all the proceeds of that will go towards pink ribbon. So that's on next Saturday. Next Saturday. Yeah, next so Saturday. best of luck to everybody. 50k, 100k and 140k for those dare, people. Dare we ask, dare we ask <laughs> no, what the target is? No, we're don't not ask, asking. Okay. Ask. Depends on the weather. Not revealing today, but all will be revealed this day next week. Absolutely. Right, right. <laughs> we, um, I know we've lots of questions. Have we one or two other things just in relation to maybe the weekend itself? Well, I think we... I think the main point is to use the weekend to really get, um, get you know, the planting of potatoes, the planting of vegetable plants in general. Finish off those jobs if you can because uh, soil conditions are just perfect at the moment great growing conditions at the moment so you know next week is going to be it's going, it is going to change so if you can get the potatoes planted all the cabbage and, and broccoli and kale this is the time for planting kale if you want kale for autumn and winter use so all of those plants planted out this weekend they'll be perfectly fine 
if we do get some cold weather but at least you've got the opportunity to work the soil and planting in general Deirdre uh, lots of uh, lots of people are coming in looking for trees in particular at the moment I think it's because of the beautiful flowering cherries probably, probably. Yeah. it just puts that seed in their mind so the likes of planting of trees and shrubs and hedging plants in general the soil conditions could not be better so my advice really is to make use of that and whatever gardening job you want to tackle do it over this weekend if you can the sowing of seeds as well um, whether it be repairing a bit of lawn area or whether it's the sowing of hardy annual seeds like um, English marigolds and the uh, you know there's lots of plants cottage garden plants the sowing of seed as well could be done over this weekend because again the soil condition is so easy to work uh, and the sowing of vegetable seed as well could be done so it's all of those type of tasks and little jobs just to keep an eye out and do keep an eye on the bugs because they will damage particularly lupins and and roses and plants that are sensitive to um, insect damage beech for example beech will be coming into leaf now in the next 10 days so do keep an eye out on the beech trees as well because they particularly as a hedge particularly as a young hedge because they get a white aphid as well which attacks the back of the leaf so generally speaking I advise spraying for that even though you don't see the insect on it you can be sure they're going to come so that can the PY spray can be used on beech as well young beech hedging in particular because if it gets on the plants it attacks the young growth and it stunts the plant. It stunts it, right. Yeah. And I suppose because beech particularly is one of those that takes a little longer to come on than... It sure does. Say, the laurel, for example. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, you don't want to kind of stunt no. it at all, if, 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 if possible. Yeah, so if anything, keep an people should that. be giving it a bit of feed mm. at the moment, encouraging it on. And then as soon as it comes into its first flush of new leaf, give it a spray of the PY spray, and that just keeps it nice and clean and tidy. That, that particular spray, the reason I recommend that is it is um, made from the pyrethrum plant, so it's natural in its nature. Oh, so pyre- the pyrethrum plant is in the chrysanthemum family and they extract the juices from the pyrethrum plant which makes a natural insecticide. So it, it controls the bugs. It controls things like caterpillars, white fly, green fly. Um, very safe to use, very safe to use on edible plants as well. So it's a natural occurring insecticide rather than one of a, one that's chemically yeah. produced. So look for it. It's called PY. PY ins- insect spray, insecticide. And is it one that uh, you dilute or...? You mix it in yeah. water, yeah. You, you, so I think it, come, it could come diluted as well, but you can get the concentrated form, make it up in a little sprayer, just put it onto the plant and that keeps it controlled. And if you do use that on edible plants, say, later on in the summer, mm. you only have to leave them a day or maybe, you know, a day or 24 hours, 48 hours and, and they're and edible. So it's a, quite a safe uh, insecticide to use rather than something that's chemically based. Okay. We're going to start at the top. Um, somebody has holes in the lawn, Porrick, uh, a number of holes with a small pile of soil around okay. the holes. So explain, please, and fix if well, you can. Well, we don't have moles in Ireland, so it's not the moles. So they're not, those big, they're not that big, the holes. No, no, no. I would imagine this is just uh, earthworms, or earthworm casts, as we call them. It's where the earthworms come to the surface of the soil and they leave a cast of soil, just a small, you know, kind of spoonful of soil. Um, and it's really just where they come to the surface they push the soil out and the soil is there so on your nice neat little lawn you get these little piles of tiny little uh, Mm. spoonfuls of soil so it's earthworms just coming to the surface I mean it doesn't damage the lawn you don't want to damage your earthworms because they aerate your soil and they do come to the surface at night time so I mean it's a natural occurrence really what I would do is just get out the yard brush and just brush away the the, the, yeah, ignore it. You know, yeah, they're you actually doing good, really, Absolutely. because they are, they are re-erasing they're, it as they're doing it. They sure are. So um, leave well enough alone, really, is my advice there. Now, uh, what were the seeds you mentioned to put into the hanging baskets and window boxes last week? I filled them with trailing plants. 
Okay, so we mentioned nasturtiums, wasn't it? I um, think so, yes. Yeah, so the, the idea is that you plant up your hanging baths, and this is a great time to get them planted up. Pinch back the shoots of the trailing petunias and the bucahopa and, and the verbena, so you literally just pinch back the ends of the shoots. And then you put some uh, dwarf trailing nasturtium seeds. So varieties like Jewel of the Nile, um, Alaska is a very good one. Um, so any of those, you'll see them on the back of the packets. They only grow about 12 or 18 inches in length. You sow the seed, literally just maybe five or six seed right right around this, the perimeter of the pot, press them in. They'll germinate within the hanging basket and come forward. But it gives enough time for the rest of the training plants to develop yeah. before the nasturtiums, because they are quite vigorous and they can take they over can a little take bit. Over, yeah. But they do add a lovely bit of colour. And that variety, Alaska, has a variegated leaf. So the leaf is green and white or green and yellow. And then you get the whole range of different flower colours. And yeah. nasturtiums are so easy to grow. And so they, literally yeah. just push them in. They're great for filling up uh, gaps and stuff Brilliant. like that. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant okay. in, in hanging baskets and window box containers as a filler, exactly. Okay, now a couple of questions in relation to potatoes, Porek. Is it too late to sow potatoes in uh, the field? That's from uh, an 80-year-old pensioner, no. they tell us, in County Mayo. Good, good, well I don't know whoever you are. I was okay. going to say, good matter, good woman yourself. Anyway, and also, um, as an addendum to another question, which we'll come to in a moment, uh, a listener has planted potato drills, and they're wondering, can they now seed them with a green manure to suppress weeds? Will this affect the potatoes' development? No, it won't. And actually, that's a great suggestion. One I haven't heard of before, but it's a great idea. Mm. So what the listener is looking to do is to plant the potatoes in the drills. And to answer the very first question, mm, it's sorry. not too late. They, they, there was an old saying that until the ash comes into full leaf, you can still plant potatoes. So and we're not there yet. And way off it. I mean, the ash is still, you can still see right through it. So until the canopy of foliage comes onto the ash tree, you can plant potatoes. So traditionally, you can plant up till about the middle of May comfortably. Um, you can even plant a bit later, but to be honest, the seed is generally all gone there. So this weekend and over the next week to 10 days, I would advise people because the soil conditions are perfect. And even early varieties and main crop varieties can be put in together. So, so a great time to plant potatoes. Or if you just want for a bit of fun, put them into a few pots and containers and they'll grow perfectly fine as well. Um, so not too late. In terms of the green manure, so what the listener is thinking of doing here is, is planting the, the, the potatoes, creating a drill, and then sowing the seed of green manure. Now, green manure is, as it says in the pack, it's a, it's a form of natural manure. So rather than using artificial fertiliser, green manure is sown from a seed, it germinates, it produces a crop of foliage on the top of the drill, um, and that helps to suppress any weeds that might come. Now, weeds will still grow here and there, and strong grasses will still maybe come through it, but overall it creates this mat. It's like putting a layer of bark on the top of the drill, except you've got a, a crop growing there. So there are plants like Phacelia or red clover. There's a whole range of green manures. They're available in garden centres at the moment. It's a little packet of seed. Mm. So plant the potatoes, drill them up, then sow the, the top of the drill with the green manure. The green manure will germinate over a two or three week period, start to grow maybe six or eight inches high. And that forms nearly a carpet on the top of the drill, which suppresses any weeds and combats any weeds. Additionally, mm. it acts as a fertiliser. So most of the plants I mentioned, like the phacelia, like the red clover, produce lots of nitrogen. So they take nitrogen from the, from the air and, and release it back into the soil. So they'll be feeding the spuds as well. As, as, they're, as, they're, growing. as they're growing. As they're growing. That is so very clever. a great clever. idea. That is very clever. Yeah, I haven't seen it used, actually. Uh, so it's oh, yeah, I was going to say, so, so listener, if you're, if you're doing that, you might let us know how you get on yeah, with exactly. it. Uh, yeah, because it does sound a um, very, very clever yeah. way of doing it. And so really what you're doing is you're introducing competition for the weeds. You are. But 
they're not going to be too much of competition no, for the potatoes. No, they won't. They're, they're shallow rooted. They only grow maybe five or six inches into the ground. But as they're there, as the potatoes come through, the stalks of the potatoes will come through perfectly fine. And as the potatoes are, are growing during the summer, the manure will start to die back and release its energy back into the ground. So it's a great way. That's a great suggestion. Dying to hear There's a tip, there's that. A tip yeah, now that we, I we could hadn't also, thought of. Uh, you could probably try that with other things as well, could you? Uh, well, it, it depends suit, on what you're sowing. Yeah, I generally green manures are used in where you're you mightn't be cropping a particular. So that's kind of fallow ground. area. Exactly, and and you want to grow a crop on it, help to suppress the weeds, and at the same time add nutrition. But plants like potatoes, because they're so vigorous, will grow straight up through it. So it's a brilliant, great um, companion planting is the word there, isn't it? Okay, that's it. Two crops together that that, that are, work together. That are, yes, that are complementing each other. Complementing each other and supporting one another. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck with that. Now, also uh, in relation to, I suppose, part one of that question. Um, the listener would like to know what's the best way to care for myrtle they've two okay. myrtle shrubs in large pots about 18 inches in height for a few years now and they're not growing but they're not dying either okay. they're left in a south facing position for maximum sunlight but also tend to catch the prevailing winds okay well it dislikes wind <coughs> myrtle so myrtle is is uh, the myrtle plant it's myrtus communis um, it's actually related to eucalyptus and if you crush the leaf on myrtle it smells like eucalyptus or has a very similar smell to eucalyptus. The leaves are very, very dark green. They're, it's an evergreen shrub mm-hmm. and it's more like a small bay leaf, I suppose. Uh, like, you know, really, really dark foliage. Small, you know, the shrub will grow maybe three to four feet in height. It produces white flowers in July and August and they form small little berries that ripen the following year like fig trees. So it, it produces these small, tiny little berries that sit on the plant and they start to mature then in March and April of, of the following year. The plant myrtle comes from the Mediterranean. It was brought from Spain to Britain by Sir Walter Raleigh. Oh, he, 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 of, he, the, he of the potato fame. He of the spud rather than the bike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Walter Raleigh brought the plant in Spain, from Spain to, to Britain and um, you'll often see myrtle berries they're used for something or other for cooking or you're probably you you probably use them at home do you? I can't say now although it's reasonably well stocked there aren't any myrtle berries in the cupboard the berries are used they are edible from memory I'm nearly certain they're they're edible Um, but it's a really easy shrub to grow it'll grow fine in a pot for a couple of years um, but ideally it wants to be planted out of doors in in a sheltered sunny location um, and makes a lovely shrub and it's one of those plants that you can cut back you've got scented foliage nice little white flowers little berry then um, and you know nice novelty plant really myrtle So in relation to the fact that it's not growing but not dying either it m- might it be a little exposed How long? perhaps? It is yeah, if, yeah. It's in, if it's in an exposed spot it needs to go into a sheltered spot Ideally It's south it, facing but it does well, catch perfect. the prevailing winds yeah, so well, that's probably South facing would be the ideal thing but to have it in a sheltered spot uh, you know, uh, you know, sunny, uh, planted against a wall or somewhere it's going to get some wind protection because it won't tolerate that. You can imagine it comes from the Mediterranean so it likes a gravelly, sunny, warm area, nuke, you know, a little, small little, tuck it in somewhere. A little spot for it. Yeah, exactly. And it's the sort of plant that won't require a lot of maintenance in terms of watering and feeding. You know, it's one of those kind of easy to grow sort of plant. Nearly thrive on neglect, a bit like lavender rather than heavy, rich soil. So pot, a big pot maybe would be mm-hmm. another solution to put into a big pot or as um, tuck it in somewhere south facing but sheltered. 
sheltered okay. is the key for the myrtle. For the myrtle. Um, yeah, really nice plant and, and just something a little bit different. Excellent. Newhouse, getting the lawns ready, have raked the soil and stones. What's the next step? Can I put the seed in now or is it oh, too yeah. soon? No, no, it's great. It's fantastic weather at the moment for putting in uh, lawns in general. So if the listener has the ground ready, the next step really is just to make, that the, make sure the ground is firm underfoot. So when you're walking across it, you should leave a footprint but not sink in any area. So nice and firm underfoot. So rake it off, put on some preceding lawn fertiliser. So put in the fertiliser first. So that can go on this morning. Rake it in. So something like the uh, park and fairway would be ideal. Sprinkle that across the lawn. Then put on the lawn seed, rake them in and just stand back and let nature take its course. It should germinate in a two to three week period. So by the middle of May, your lawn should be nice and green and its first cutting should happen happen in June. So you normally cut new grass when it's about inch to inch and a half because that gets it to fill out and thicken out. It also helps to control any weeds that are going to come naturally. So the, the blade of the mower will start to thicken out the grass in midsummer and also eliminate any broadleaf weeds that might be there. Now, what type of fruit trees can I plant in pots? I've just a patio and would like to grow some fruit and veg plants. Something easy, please. Okay, well, you've, you've a wide range. So what, what you go for are plants that aren't going to be too vi- overly vigorous. So stay away from things like blackcurrants and gooseberries and all of those because they just need so much space and so much vigour. I would settle for blueberries are brilliant in pots. And I think I mentioned many times mm-hmm. that Keelings in, in Dublin, that's the way they grow their blueberries commercially. Big, big pots. They also need ericaceous compost. So it's a perfect way of growing them. So get yourself a big tub. Make sure there's good, good drainage holes in the bottom. Fill it with ericaceous compost and put in some ericaceous fertiliser and plant some blueberries uh, into the pot. They'll do really well. Strawberries do great in pots and containers as well. Window boxes contain shallow containers that do really well. Um, Dwarf apple trees. So you can get the likes of the coronet apple trees which are in full flower at the moment um, and they're only about uh, I suppose three feet tall at the moment and even though they're five year old plants. So coronet are quite a small neat compact variety of apple tree that it comes in a whole range of flavors about 14 different flavors um but with the coronet they stay small they stay very neat and they're perfect in pots and containers and you'll also get dwarf uh pear trees and plum trees on dwarf rootstock so go to your local garden center ask for the coronet range of apples or look for varieties of fruit that are on dwarfing rootstocks and that keeps them nice and small and compact perfect for pots and containers and you can even have a an apple tree with strawberries planted around the base of it so you can have a nice big pot good quality compost and, and soil mixed together a bit of fertilizer put in the coronet apple tree coronet also comes in a family tree which means you get two different varieties grafted onto the one stem so you only need one apple with the two varieties grafted on so if the space is very tight then that would be an ideal uh, Solution, so, yeah. yeah, so go for the family apple tree, two different varieties, both eating varieties, and maybe underplanted them with strawberry plants. And that'd be fabulous. You'd have yeah. strawberries in July and August, and, and your apples in September, October. Okay, and it's amazing what you can, I suppose, uh, out of pots, reap yeah. out of a very small area. Absolutely. Yeah. Even, you know, you can plant up some window box with lettuce plants and they'll grow perfectly happy. Rather than cut the lettuce, just peel the leaves off and allow the plant to regrow. So there's lots of the veg and herbs in particular that would do very well in pots and containers. Now, is it possible to plant a bed of roses at this time of the year? I've a new circular bed in the lawn with good soil, with some horse manure added. Great. What types would you suggest? Well, it is possible. So okay, it's perfect planting yes. weather for roses. Okay. And if you plant them now, they're going to flower this summer. They'll actually be in flower in, in several weeks. And um, they're, you know, the 
roses at this stage are, are nearly at the, fo- the stage of producing flower buds. So that'll happen in the next two weeks. So by June, if you plant roses today, they'll certainly be in flower for the middle of June and, and through the summer. Um, so look, if the listener's done everything right, uh, horse manure or any organic matter is perfect for roses because they're hungry feeders. Um, you could add some rose fertiliser when you're planting them. And generally, I like to plant roses in groups of the same colour. So, for example, you could have a standard rose, which is the one with this the, this clean stem and the rose is up about four or five feet in mm-hmm. the air. Um, so you have a nice clean stem, a ball of flower colour then four feet up from the ground. So you could use a variety like Arthur Bell, which is a bright yellow flowering rose, highly scented, easy to grow. That'll give you a lovely show of colour. And then underplant it with some red ro- roses. So Lily Marlene is a lovely variety. Um, superstar, trumpeter there's a whole range of different roses so get two contrasting colors yellows and reds and do the bed with just those colors and it'll be very striking and give you tons and tons of color and varieties like trumpeter will flower from june right through till the end of september Uh, arthur bell as well as a long flowering variety just if you deadhead the flowers and and feed them during this summer they'll continue to flower right through to the end of the year maybe some of the flower carpet roses there's lots of different varieties um available so really it's a great time to plant and uh, I would kind of stick, rather than ho- a whole range of different varieties, stick to one or two that contrast and complement one each another. other. Okay. Yeah. Great, great tip there. OK, we'll take another one and we'll have a quick break then. I was getting ready my tubs, lots of people with tubs and pots today, uh, for putting in new plants. And there's a lot of little grubs in the tubs. They're silvery white and have little wings on the sides. How can I treat them? I've never had the like of them before, says Kitty. OK, well, anything that's in the soil, that's soil-borne. So generally in pots and containers, you'll get uh, insects like chafter grub, uh, vine weevil. Um, you'll get the leather jacket. You know, you'll also get the eggs of small flies, which are really harmless. So there are uh, there are uh, flies like compost flies or gnats that basically produce a, quite a small egg and, and, and just form a fly, a midge, really. Mm. Now, they're not damaging to plants, but the others I mentioned are. So vine weevil, leather jackets and chafter grub are very destructive. They're maggots. They feed on the roots of plants. So if they're in your pots, you need to change the compost completely. Okay. Um, so all out. Uh, all out. And look at if if the pots aren't huge, you know, very large, I would suggest that Kitty changes the compost this year. Bring in some fresh soil, add some compost through that, and start the process off again. Because generally, the vine weevil love to lay their eggs in pots and containers because the plant can't go anywhere. You know, the roots are contained, they're confined in a a pot. So if the vine weevil get in there, the roots can go nowhere and the vine weevil just feed on the roots and do, and same with leather jackets, where if the plant is in the open ground, at least if the leather jackets are on the left-hand side of the plant, they can can root to the right. right, Yeah, it can root to the right type of thing. But where they're in pots, they're absolutely contained, they're caught, the roots are there and the the vine weevil just continue to feed all winter on them. So it depends what pest it is. It sounds to me more like gnats or or compost flies, which aren't as damaging. Again, if Kitty wanted to maybe take a photograph of it, Mm -hmm. email it into us, I'll have a look at it, or bring it into one of the garden centres and we just see exactly what the pest is. But I would be inclined, just as precautionary, to change the compost anyway. 
Okay, I want to go to a question on the, on the email. Actually, apologies, listener. Uh, in North Mayo, but this came in last week and I didn't get to it in time and it's fully my fault, but we're definitely giving it a proper <laughs> mention this morning. Um, so, Porek, we have had a look because our, our listener it, has, 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 very, has sent yes. in a great photograph um, and it's two shrubs. So the question is, can they move them? They were planted about eight to ten years ago and you can't see from the picture, but the foliage is all withered on the wall side for the mm. past two years. If they move them to a place in the garden prone to flooding in uh, if I moved them to a place in the garden prone to flooding in wet weather will that cause a problem? Well first of all they're two, they're two conifers <laughs> so, yeah, and they're against a wall for and against a wall, and that's why, the, the picture yeah. so that's why they've gone brown because mm-hmm. they, you know, if conifers are closely planted together if they're up against a wall or a fence naturally enough the light is not getting to the wall side of the plant so it, it goes it's brown. Gone a bit brown and if the listener now the, to answer the question the listener can move them you could still move them and you could still move conifers at this time of year mm. uh, you know dig them up they're, they're dwarf in, um, in nature so they'll, they'll move easy enough the only thing is they're not going to green up again on the on the, on the brown, brown side on the wall side so uh, if you plant them out say in a shrub bed or a border then you're going to have the brownness on one side and they're just not going to fill in so you'll always have this lopsided plant at least against the wall where the listener has them you cannot see the brown I was going to say they look all right <laughs> look to me great. listener I'd be happy enough yeah, with I that would too. I'd, I'd, I'd leave them there to be honest and maybe fill in another couple of shrubs around the base yeah. of them but if you if you move them which you can do now they won't move to a wet um, heavy Bobby soil area, no right. they won't no they dislike that so I would be inclined to leave them there unless there's a, a particular reason they have to be moved but do bear in mind that if you do plant them if you lift them and move them they're going to be brown on one side and golden or or a green on the other as they are in the picture which will look even more odd yeah so <laughs> you know so okay. I think I think the best thing is to leave them if you can and maybe fill in the area with other shrubs For other shrubs yeah okay yeah. And, and, I mean they're doing bounced. fine they look yeah they, they look, look pretty great. good I just but I yeah. guess obviously they are yeah. against a wall yeah. um, and just <clears throat> staying with conifers two years yeah. are conifers are they two years yes. are yeah. so we, I think we have uh, a question in relation to two years here from Kathleen they planted ten two years in boggish soil about three years ago and they're getting brown at the edges and appear to be dying slowly now they put on a feed on them um, but it hasn't helped much and they're wondering where might they go from here right well first of all two years are that those cone-shaped conifers that take on that lovely kind of stately shape. When you crush the leaf, the smell of pineapple. So they're very easy to, to identify. So that's our friend, the Thuya. Um, boggy soil in its nature will be low in nutrition, so the listener's done the right thing in terms of feeding it, but they'll need feeding on a regular basis. So you'd want to be feeding them at least two or three times during the growing season. The other thing that Thuya is suffering from at the moment is a thing called Thuya blight, which is a browning of the foliage um, it's kind of, you know it looks like blight the plants look sickly it's browning exactly as the listeners describe browning on the edges spreading into the branches and the branches start to die and it's it's a tough disease to uh, it's actually a disease of two years mm. it's spread by very wet weather so the couple of summers we've got not necessarily last year but up to last year where you get those wet summers tends to favour the spread of thuya blight on, on the conifer and there's a lot of it around at the moment and um, you can try fungicides to control it liquid fungicides but my experience is that once it's in the plant and particularly if it's well established in the plant they don't come back from it um, so I would 
seriously consider maybe feed the plants again for this season <coughs> a couple of times during the growing season do see do they improve but I think it, the, the listener is going to have to replace those and put something different oh, in okay. now a question in relation to carrots carrots will they grow in pots in my garden soil uh, the garden is very stony so I was going to try them in pots or bags is it doable oh it's it's uh, yeah, absolutely it's very doable um, you know any of the exhibition carrots where guys are growing them for exhibition or for prize winning prizes for the agricultural uh, shows agricultural shows they grow them in big tubs and big uh, oh is that how oh, yeah, and, okay. and the sieve the soil so they're not just growing not at all in, in, the, in the ground no, they're, and they're, potluck you know they, they sieve the soil they make sure there's no stones or debris they add some sand to it to make it very easy for the carrot to, to, to penetrate down into the compost and they put them in long tall pots um, so you know to encourage the root to go nice and deep. So that's the way they're growing on a. So yes, you can mimic that and and grow uh, carrots. And the, remember, the carrots come in a whole range of different varieties, from the deep rooted varieties to the short, stumpy carrots that are perfect in pots and containers. So they they mightn't be very long, but they're wide and thick root. Um, so there's lots of of different varieties. Um, Amster. Amsterdam forcing is actually a very good one or there's loads of different varieties anyway in your local garden centre um, so look maybe for the short varieties sow the seed now even in shallow window boxes they'll work okay. fine so anything that's 6 or 8 inches deep would be perfectly fi- okay. fine and if you want to grow the really t- exhibition uh, or really deep roots then get yourself a deep pot that might be 2 feet deep a nice gri- uh, sandy gritty soil uh, compost like the John Ennis compost would be very good and as you just sow the seed on top they'll germinate they'll grow and go down deep into the compost liquid feed them with a tomato feed during the summer and you get fantastic carrots that way so they're Totally doable. Totally, listener, totally doable. Okay. In, in, in containers, yeah. What do we feed onion sets with? Well, onions are actually a very hungry crop. It's a thing that people don't associate with on, onions. But when you think of an onion bulb, a large bulb, it's got layers and layers and layers of leaves and, and, and scales on the plant. So it needs a lot of energy. So generally speaking, before planting, I would add in a granulated fertilizer, something like Vitex, Q4, which is very good for vegetables. Um, so that's a very good veg, uh, um, fertilizer. You can it's granulated, so you can shake it on as well. And from memory, it comes in a liquid form as well. That Vitex Q4. So mix it up in your watering can. So if you've got your sets planted, you could get uh, a, a, the liquid version of it. Mix it up in the watering can chuck it over the top of the plants and um, give them a couple of feeds during the summer and they'll be perfectly fine. Has slug clear been taken off the market and if so, has anything replaced it? It has, unfortunately. Well, unfortunately, it has. Uh, slug clear was well, the it's liquid. Just, it was one that people uh, was very effective. relied on a lot for a long, long time. Yeah, it was yeah. very effective. It was the liquid form of, of um, the pellet, I suppose. And it was great in that when you put it on, it was invisible. So the kids and the birds and whatever couldn't see it, obviously. It was. So no, it's not available anymore. Um, the one I mentioned last week, the Slug Go, which is the organic-based slug control. That's very effective. Uh, customers can be great feedback on that. So it's an organic-based um, pellet. Mm-hmm. It's very safe to use. And as I mentioned last week, it's, it's organic, so it returns back into the soil so if the slug doesn't eat it, it it actually goes back into the soil and adds nutrition to the soil um, but it's very effective on slugs and very safe for children and very safe for pets and birds and wildlife in general so that's called slug go now a listener was wondering can they make a hedge out of lavender they're looking to put in a small low hedge around roses oh yeah that'd be lovely um, now remember that lavender the answer is yes you can and lavender would form a hedge up to about a foot maybe 15 inches 18 inches in height that's 
that's kind of the ultimate height that's going to grow. Lavender, um, again, it's a Mediterranean plant, mm. so you've got to kind of mimic those situations. So it needs to be in a bright, sunny location, and it also needs a very free-draining soil. So you need to add a lot of sand, gravel, grit to the soil, nearly impoverish the soil. So add a lot of that. It needs nearly the reverse to what the roses need. I was going to say, um, lavender and roses, it's going to be two very different kinds of soil, really. They could, but you can, you can, if, if they're... they're do a ring around it. Exactly. They're obviously going to do just a kind of rim, a ring around the actual rose bed. So they take maybe a foot wide um, and dig a, a foot deep and add plenty of gravel and grit, pea gravel, pea stone or very sharp sand mix that into the soil slightly raise the area as well so have this the border of soil maybe six or eight inches above the other soil so what we're trying to create is good drainage and a very free draining soil and that's all that's required for lavender so if you can do that then you've got a great chance of it growing if it's heavy wet soil you're wasting your time okay there is another plant called um a plant called santalina uh, I don't think it has a common name, but Santalina, which grows like lavender. So it's got silvery foliage like lavender. It's got yellow flowers. But that particular plant is easier to grow and does can would basically mimic the same sort of silver foliage. It's actually more silver than lavender, Santalina. Santalina and canna, I think, is the, the botanical name for it from memory. But it makes a small little shrub very hardy, you prune it back every year, grows back up to a foot or 18 inches and that would form a nice little hedge as well and would tolerate wetter soils Right, so, so it, might, it, it might marry a little bit more with the roses than yeah. the lavender. Yeah. Okay, but the rose but if, and if lavender it, idea does sound lovely. Oh, it's if lovely. You, and, and a bit and of time and just exactly. to separate out the soils. Exactly, and raising the soil a little bit higher. It's all about the drainage really with lavender. That's what kills it. Now, Sean is in Tume and he says that there are flies on his laurel hedges and they seem to be eating it. Will he trim it back? Well, laurels should be trimmed back anyway, whether you've got flies on them or not. Uh, This is the time of year to nip them back and start controlling them and, and, you know, putting a bit of shape and order on laurel hedging. Um, So the answer is trim them back anyway. The flies, there is a a thing of of laurels called shot hole fungus, which is this, it's a fungus again, a bit like with the thuya, Mm. not as damaging on um, on laurel, but it looks like the holes, uh, the, the leaves have been shot with a shotgun. You get these little holes, small tiny little pellet holes on the leaf and that's a a disorder on laurel that's mainly due to poor soil conditions or poor growing conditions so if those laurels are struggling a bit you tend to get this shot hole fungus on them. Um, Feeding them reverses that. So to be honest my advice is look don't worry about the flies they're not going to damage the laurel hedge give it a trim, give it a feed and it'll be perfectly fine and trim it again about the middle of July. My plum tree was pruned last October there's some buds on it but not doing well so obviously that's why it's not doing well and we have a question about uh, daffodils and well and when do we feed them right go back to the pruned uh, okay, plum what tree do we say about the, what do we say about the fruits that have stones in them we don't prune them until the springtime correct there you go that's the rule of thumb well okay. done you remember that one well so things like cherries peach trees nectarines plum trees are not pruned in the winter and um, they're pruned actually at this time of year uh, as they're in full leaf and as the flower has just gone off them, this is the time to prune all stone fruit because they suffer from a thing called silver leaf, which is a disease that can get into the damaged stems during the winter period. So you do not prune them in October, November, December, January, February, March. So what do we do with that poor old plum tree now? All you can do is just, just leave it. look at let it let it. You'll know if the if it is if it has the disease. The leaves it gets its name from silver leaf. The leaf has a kind of a dullish color. Wouldn't it be rich green color? It's kind of dull in color, nearly bordering on silver. It's not exactly silver, but it's kind of a a sickly 
looking leaf. So if the plant doesn't come into growth and respond in the next, you know, two months, mm. then I would replace it. Okay. And feeding the daffodils? Oh, so when do we do it? Oh, yeah, you, you feed daffodils after flowering. Okay. So now is the time they're dying back this time of year. So give them a couple of liquid feeds of a tomato feed and that'll um, build them up for next year. It's also a great time to move daffodils. So if they're in a, an awkward spot and you want to move them, dig them up mm. now and transplant them. Now, my apple trees and pear trees are in full blossom. Can I still feed them and do they need any other sprays? Well, a great time to feed them, yeah. This is the time of year. A high potash feed, so a rose fertiliser is ideal or, or suffered a potash around the base of fruit trees now is, is very beneficial. Um, don't spray them at this time of year with anything because the bees are visiting the flowers. They're pollinating the flowers. You don't do anything to damage them because that's, that's you know, you need the, the apples pollinated. But at, as we get into petal fall, which is generally about the middle, the end of May, as the petals are beginning to fall off, as the small little fruitlets are beginning to form, that's a good time of year to put on one of the rose treatments. So rose clear or multi-rose can be applied to the foliage and fruit of apple trees because that protects against pests and diseases. Um, So feed them now by all means, leave them alone, let the bees do their work and they're very busy at the moment and we'll have a great crop of fruit if uh, if the weather conditions stick and uh, we spray them maybe about the end of May with a mm. rose treatment, not till then. Just one or two more quick ones. I'm looking for a fast-growing flowering climbing plant to cover a large timber garden pergola, something that will cover it in a short period. Okay. Well, so, well, I would go for a, com- <clears throat> a combination of, of different plants. So, wisteria would be lovely. Mm-hmm. It's very vigorous, very fast-growing. It's actually coming into flower. It'll be flowering now in about two weeks' time. Um, so, wisteria would be one of my top favourites. Some of the vigorous roses, there's roses like Albertine, which is a big, blousy, pink uh, rose with copper foliage. It's a really fast Ooh. growth. It'll put upon about eight to nine feet of growth per year. Really and fast. And is that a climbing rose? It's a climbing rose, yeah, Albertine. Albertine, look for that one. It's bronze foliage, pink flowers, very vigorous, great on a big pergola and lovely with wisteria because it'll flower after the wisteria. Um, you, and there's other varieties of, of, plenty of varieties of roses like American Pillar is another really nice one. It's got small pink and white flowers. Uh, Dublin Bay is another good one. There's lots of really good Swan Lake is another really nice climbing rose. Um, you could also put some of the vigorous clematis. So you've got the Montana Rubens in flower at the moment. Mm-hmm. So that would be very good and very vigorous. Um, so a combination of different plants. Honeysuckle is quite fast as well. So there's plenty of climbers available, a great time to plant them. Just make sure you do the soil really well, plant, you know, prepare the soil really well, put plenty of organic matter in with them, that'll help to drive the plants on. And maybe some sweet pea would be nice as well. So a mixture of wisteria, roses, clematis, sweet peas. They'd be lovely. Lots of options there. And very finally, my red currant and white flowering cherry have finished flowering. Do I cut them now? Do I trim them now? Yes. All spring flowering plants, the forsythii flowering red currant, Flower, you know the the shrub cherries, any of that, those plants have been flowering for the last couple of weeks. Now, once they finish flowering, you cut them back. Lovely. So anything that's finished its flowering, trim back and feed. Lovely. So just remember that the pink ribbon is on next weekend. Next so Saturday. the pink ribbon plant available. All it's week. available, and remember, all the proceeds of that plant go towards pink ribbon charity, the research of cancer. Excellent, Pork. Thanks so much okay. for all of the advice this I'll morning. I'll be in the cycling gear tomorrow next week. Okay, we look, we look, <laughs> we look forward to that. Prepare yourself. <laughs> I will. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> That's it from me. We're back again next Saturday, just after seven o'clock. Have yourselves a great weekend. Michael Neary is on the way next with country classics after the news with. Angelina Nugent. Until next Saturday, from me, Deirdre Kelly, good morning to you.